Sports Day in the D. John on here back with you. It is October 2nd, 2014. Going to talk about some wild card matchups that happen in Major League Baseball. You're going to get in the 2014 postseason, but first you got to get through these wild card matchups. And man, we had a thriller, and then we also had a complete blowout. Let's talk about the thriller a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit about the San Francisco Giants and the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, in your American League side of things, you're trying to figure out who's going to go ahead and play against the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And you got two teams, the Oakland Athletics and the Kansas City Royals, of contrasting styles. You got Billy Bean, the Moneyball manager. Now, in my opinion, he put all of his eggs in one basket. He traded away Yoenis Cespedes. He got John Lester from the Boston Red Sox. Cespedes went to Boston. Jeff Samarja from the Chicago Cubs also comes to the Oakland Athletics. And there's a few other trades getting Sam Fold in there from the Minnesota Twins to try to solidify that defense and everything in between. Now, you can wonder a few things from Oakland's perspective. Did they make some of these moves to anticipate playing against the Detroit Tigers in the first round of the ALDS? Because the Tigers were able to do one thing against the Oakland Athletics when you think about it in terms of the pitching aspects. Justin Verlander was fantastic last year in the postseason. He didn't have a great regular season at all, and it's been well documented. But Game 1 and Game 5 of the ALDS, Justin Verlander, JV, must see JV at the time, was lights out and got the job done. Now, Oakland Athletics, I believe, made some of these moves to go ahead and try to put all their eggs in one basket to combat the tough pitching with tough pitching of their own. And on the Kansas City Royals aspect, you had the Oakland A's that hit a bunch of home runs, was able to hit the ball out of the ballpark and draw a lot of walks. And for the Kansas City Royals, that haven't done anything since 1985 of winning the World Series with George Brett and all of that, they are last in home runs. They are also last in walks. How in the hell do they score their runs? That's what some of these average fans will be thinking about that don't know about Kansas City Royals baseball. I know very well firsthand of being in the AL Central with the Detroit Tigers. Think about Kansas City Royals in the last few years, and honestly, they've been a pain in the ass. Because the Royals have done something that the Tigers have always neglected to do. Steal bases. Run bases while manufacture runs, bunt. Do other things to get guys over. Play winning baseball, in my opinion, that way. It's a very important part of this game that seemed to have gone by the wayside. But the Kansas City Royals were able to do that and get into the wild card. Now, they had one hell of a second half of the season just to get themselves in this position. And again, in contrasting styles with the Oakland A's, the Oakland A's... I believe had a 433 winning percentage going into the second half, the post-All-Star break. That's absolutely terrible. The Oakland Athletics had at least an eight-and-a-half game lead in that AL West over the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. They were falling flat on their face, and they had to win the final game of the season, and Seattle obviously lost, and King Felix got a nice hand from all the fans at Safeco, which he very well deserved. He could be getting another Cy Young. Oakland backs in, Kansas City's on fire. So you got two teams of two contrasting styles, and you wonder, 
is John Lester is on the mound for the Oakland Athletics, and you, it's rumored he might be going back to Boston after it's the season's done. And you got big game James Shields on the other side for the Kansas City Royals, and you wonder how the Kansas City Royals were able to get James Shields. Because when you think about it, quite a few years ago, Gil Mesh, that was a great pitcher for the not for the Kansas City Royals, but was a great pitcher. He was one of those big-time pitching guys that they brought over and paid a lot of money to. Would James Shields be the guy that's going to go ahead and pan things out? And you were able to find this out with the Kansas City Royals and the Oakland Athletics in dramatic fashion as the game would go back and forth all night. The Kansas City Royals are this team of this year of 2014 could be the Cinderella for Major League Baseball because they run the bases well they don't give up they fight for every at bat they don't strike out they put balls in play they steal bases they do everything that they're supposed to do to try to stay in games and when you're playing up against the Oakland Athletics a team that's pretty good maybe not as good as in the last two seasons but the Tigers were able to just fit the bill within the last couple seasons against them because of the starting pitching. How would the Royals fare? They would win a 9-8 game in 13 innings over the Oakland Athletics. Now the way the Royals were able to do this was come from behind. They were able to do this just a multitude of times. Brandon Moss started off the game hitting a home run. Two-run shot. Oakland's up 2 to nothing to start. For Kansas City even comes to bat in the first inning, they're down 2 nothing, And James Shields has already got to get into lockdown mode. Kansas City scratched out a run. Then Kansas City took the lead in the third from Eric Cosmer. It is a 3-2 game. No runs are scored again until the sixth inning when Oakland bats around and puts up a five spot. It is a 7-3 game. At this point in the game, Ned Yost, who was not documented as one of the better managers in the league, and for good reason, because he is a joke of a manager. James Shields has two guys on in the fifth inning, and Yost makes the move to Ventura. And you can say that this guy throws 100 miles an hour, which he does. He's got lightning in his arm, but he's wild. He's got the most walks on the Kansas City staff. He's a 23-year-old, and you're putting him in a pressure cooker of a situation, and you're taking out your best pitcher, big game James Shields, your guy that's supposed to be your number one. He's supposed to be put in for these moments. He's the guy that got the Kansas City Royals mainly. I know the team's great in manufacturing runs and stealing bases, but he is the presence for Kansas City to go ahead and try to get this thing done. And to see Ventura give up a three-run shot, once again, Brandon Moss has driven in five RBI at this point in the sixth inning. And I put my hands over my head and I scream, why? I scream very loud. Because when you think about Ned Yost, you know he's not going to win any Manager of the Year awards. But that is one of the most boneheaded moves I've ever seen. And if the Royals did not win this game, it's like I said, it's already been documented about Ned Yost. I don't mean to beat a dead horse here, but if the Royals didn't go on to win this game in the 13th inning, Ned Yost already, who could have been fired, should have been fired right on the spot if the Royals would have lost this game. I digress. Let me get into the audio here 
because I'm going to play this package for it's a couple minutes long at least, and then we'll talk about some of the other things in the off season. Let me close this out really quick. So this has been good stuff, and I want to play this for you. This is the audio between the A's and the Royals, and the Royals fans, I hope you guys enjoy this. Well hit to right, and you can forget about it. He adds to the power numbers there into the seats over the bullpen, and it's 2 nothing. In the air to center field, and pretty well hit. Lorenzo Kane is back and has no chance. Brandon Moss has done it again. Straight away center field, three-run shot, and the A's have the lead. I don't care how hard the play falls, it's still any kind of dribbler is a base hit. There goes Dyson. Throw to third. He is safe. The time run has moved up another 90 feet. Winfield in. Fly ball to right field. Reddick, a long run, makes the catch, but that's going to tie the game. It is 7-7 seven seven in the wild card. Slapped to the left field, and the A's have the lead. Alberto Cayaspo delivers in the 12th, and it's 8-7. to seven. What a nice piece of hitting. Cal, one of the most unlikely guys to get a hit for the Oakland A's, struggled down the stretch. Yeah, over his last 14, uh, big time to get a hit. But uh, four for his last 50. In the air to left center field. Gomes is back and so is Fulton. The ball is off the wall. Has been around second. He's on his way to third standing. And the time run is 90 feet away. What an event. Sounds like tough. I gotta tell you, man, I hope everybody from Kansas City ended up enjoying that because I honestly, I ended up enjoying watching that game. But I, I gotta be completely honest with everybody in here. I might have said 13 innings. It's 10 or 12 innings. Kansas City, Royals, Kansas City Royals won 98. Gotta be honest with everybody. I mentioned the Brandon Moss home run earlier before we ended up playing this clip and I told one of my buddies, and I, I switched the game off and went upstairs because I was so pissed off. I told one of my buddies that Kansas City had already lost the game, honestly being down four runs at 6-2 at to two at, at that point. Because when you think about the Kansas City Royals, I guess I, I mentioned the stealing of the bases and all of that and just playing together, but that was a ball crusher.
honestly, for, for the Royals. To have Ned Yost do something like that, to take James Shields out, and have a kid out there, Ventura, just give up that three-run shot, that is a killer. And for the Kansas City Royals to be down, what, like five times in this game, to just come back. Even Alberto Cayaspo scored in the 12th inning for the Athletics to take the lead. And Hosmer hits the triple when the two outfielders went full and, and those guys run into each other. Then some guy you never heard of in Cologne, Christian Cologne, gets the infield single, which no chance for Donaldson at third. And then Salvador Perez, I think, is one of the best catchers. He is the best catcher in the American League. He's one of the best catchers in baseball, period. Gets the job done. So Kansas City wins 9-8 to in the most improbable fashion. Maybe only people from Kansas City would believe that they would go out and win this game. But I wonder how many of you, even from Kansas City, even thought that the Royals were going to win this game. Because it's absolutely unbelievable what happened. The American League wild card is won on one of the greatest postseason games. At, like I said, after I watched everything at the end because I didn't see it initially. But it's one of the greatest postseason games I've ever seen in my life in terms of baseball. The Royals put on a performance. They bailed their coach out. And they're going on to play the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. I'm going to talk about the other wild card game in the National League aspect, and then we'll break, and then I'll get into some Tigers-Orioles ALDS predictions and break down everything else. So the game tonight, Wednesday, with the San Francisco Giants and the Pittsburgh Pirates, there really wasn't much of a game. <laughs> you think about Madison Bumgarner, he is the Giants' best pitcher. He goes out there and proves it and throws a gem. No chance for Pittsburgh. Crawford hits the grand slam. It's four to nothing, and everybody is immediately thinking. Everybody in the office was working. Said, "There's no comeback in this game. There, there's no chance." And there clearly wasn't. And San Francisco goes on and wins eight to nothing. Yeah, I know that's not a lot of analysis, but what else do you want me to say? Madison Bumgarner's a stud. San Francisco got a timely hit from. Edison, Edison Volquez, who threw a cookie because Garrett Cole had to be used on the final game of the regular season just for the Pittsburgh Pirates to get in. I know that sucks for the Pirates, and I love me some Andrew McCutcheon, but when you got to use your best pitcher just to get into the postseason to clinch, I know Edison Volquez, he had a crappy last couple of years, but he had a good second half. There wasn't any other guy he could put out there. He just threw a bad pitch in a bad location. Throwing it right down the middle, I don't care who it is. Even Alex Avila could have hit that out for a grand slam. Crawford got the job done. The Giants ended up winning 8 to nothing. So everything is set in terms of your playoff brackets. And it's going to officially get underway Thursday with the American League Divisional Series games between the Tigers and the Orioles and the Angels and the Kansas City Royals. The Angels and the Kansas City Royals will follow after the Tigers and Orioles game. And then in the National League, you have the Dodgers versus the Cardinals and the Washington Nationals versus the San Francisco Giants. I'm going to take a break now. When we come back in from the break, we're going to talk about the Detroit Tigers and the Baltimore Orioles. Like I said, I'll break down the batting and the pitching matchup, and I'll let you know why I think the Tigers have a good chance to win this series against the Elves. Come back in from the break, and this is John Ott, for the Major League Baseball postseason preview show, Sports Day in the D. Be right back. Up, up, up. 
Sports Day in the D. John out here with you. It is the postseason preview show. Major League Baseball ALDS action is going to be getting underway Thursday, 537. You will finally see the Tigers face off against the Baltimore Orioles. The action can be watched on TBS, and you can also listen to 97 on the ticket as Dan and Jim will be on the call for you. Now, this is going to be a game, in my opinion, that is going to have all the breath of one of the most important series you're going to watch all year. And when I think about it that way, you say, why the hell is that? Because the 96 and 66 Baltimore Orioles won their division in the AL East by 12 games. Now, the Baltimore Orioles you can say had a little bit easier of a road because the Yankees were down. Toronto pulled the switch in the first half. They tried to get alive in the second half. They just couldn't do it. They faded out. Tampa Bay had a down year by their standards. And Boston, who was already out of it and only had David Ortiz, traded away everybody else. But they did manage to get Yolanda Cespedes. So you can argue that the Baltimore Orioles won a division that just wasn't very good but let me tell you that every single year, and all of the baseball fans know this, that the AL East is one of the toughest divisions in all of baseball. Baltimore still had to prove, even though they did have some pieces that were quite good, they still had to prove that they were able to win this division and do everything they needed to do. We knew Baltimore was a good team, and hey, I even thought at the beginning of the season that this is a playoff team and they could do some damage. But they still had to put their money where their mouth was, and now they're in the postseason. In terms of the Tigers, we all know the same song and dance that the Detroit Tigers were featuring. 90 and 72, they did finish with 90 wins. I think Dan Dickerson hit that right on the head. These are the Tigers are about a 91 team, a 556 winning percentage, were able to win the division by one game over the Royals. They sure didn't make it look easy because it took the final game of the season against Minnesota. By the way, the Tigers had a below 500 record against the Twins this season, but none of that matters now, because the Tigers are in, and everybody says that once you get in the playoffs in the postseason, that it's a crapshoot, and anything can happen. And let me tell you now something that I honestly believe. With the Baltimore Orioles and the Detroit Tigers, the Tigers probably are thanking their lucky stars that they're not playing against the Oakland Athletics and that the Royals got the job done. Because if you ask me that the Tigers could beat the Athletics three years in a row, I got more nervous every single year about that. And I'm quite happy that the Tigers will be playing against the Baltimore Orioles. And let me tell you why. In terms of the batting matchups that you have for Baltimore, you got some several key injuries here or some key missing pieces for the O's. And let's pull this up here. You think about Chris Davis, you already know that he's not going to be in the lineup for the O's just because he got busted for using roids. So Chris Davis is not going to be there. And you say that Chris Davis hadn't had a great season. He's barely hitting like 250. He only has 20-something bombs. He doesn't have like 45, close to 50 bombs that he had the year before. And I understand that. But that's still a hole that's in their lineup that they won't be able to replace. Yeah, they got some guy named Steven Pierce that they brought in from first base, who's a journeyman first baseman. I believe he's about 31 years old, that also hit 20-something home runs. But I'll get back to that point. 
other missing pieces that you have on the offensive end. Manny Machado is not going to be there for the Baltimore Orioles. This is a guy, Manny Machado, that is one of the best defensive third basemen that we have in the league right now. He can go ahead and pick it and get the job done anywhere. You're wondering what's going to happen with Nick Markakis. Is he totally healthy? Is J.J. Hardy totally healthy? you got some questions on the offensive end for the Baltimore Orioles. And that could be one of the best things that could happen for the Detroit Tigers. Listen, the Tigers are playing in Camden Yards. It's a bandbox ballpark. That also explains to me why Steven Pierce has over 20-some home runs and almost everybody on that lineup. When Adam Jones and J.J. Hardy also has these power numbers to go with Nick Markakis because J.J. Hardy and Steven Pierce probably shouldn't be hitting this many home runs. But this is what happens when you play in Baltimore. For the Tigers, in terms of the batting, we all know it is Miguel Cabrera, Victor Martinez, and J.D. Martinez, the Flying Martinez brothers, and Miggy seems to have that ankle issue behind him. You know, the core muscle situation, he's not 100% healthy, but I would venture to say that Miguel Cabrera is about 80% healthy. And that's something that's already a lot better than he had of last season because Miguel Cabrera is not playing off one foot. Toward these last few games, these last couple weeks to end the regular season, Miguel Cabrera was driving off of his back foot and able to use his legs to launch and hit some home runs. That's a great sign for the Tigers. Victor Martinez was the guy that was not here last year for the Detroit Tigers, tearing his ACL. That is a huge plus for having Victor Martinez be here. And you know what? With all the home runs that Victor Martinez had hit, you'd think about he could only average 14 or 15 home runs, but the guy's got about 35 jacks this season. I don't know where the power surge is coming from. And I know I'm not the only one on Twitter that had seen some of these things or even thought that VMart was using roids. Because I don't know where this power surge has come from, but it couldn't have come at a better time. And J.D. Martinez... The Houston Astros, we talked about this at the beginning of the season, but you got to think about it in this aspect, you're getting into the postseason, in the Bambox Ballpark in Camden Yards. J.D. Martinez was the castaway for the Houston Astros, and this is a guy that hit more home runs in the ninth inning than Eric Hosmer even had all season for the Royals. This dude can hit bombs, and hit bombs to dead center. Hit bombs to dead center in Comerica Park and hit the shrubbery past the 420 sign. Wouldn't surprise me if J.D. Martinez runs into quite a few. The one thing I worry about is if Victor Martinez is going to start trying to leave the strike zone again because that's something that we don't want to have because J.D. Martinez has been swinging a nice bat. So he doesn't have to press too much. Let Miguel Cabrera get on, let Victor do his thing, and J.D. Martinez is going to be quite good. So the Orioles, we talked about some of the injuries that they had. Talking about Chris Davis being out, Machado being hurt. You're wondering how healthy Marcakis is, J.J. Hardy, and all of that. Caleb Joseph is in there for Matt Wieters, because Matt Wieters will not be in this series either, and he's one of the better catchers that we have in the American League. Because if Salvador Perez is the best catcher in the American League, then Matt Wieters, probably number two. I can't count Joe Maurer, because he really doesn't catch anymore for the Twins. So the Orioles have some significant injuries. But the Tigers may have a significant injury, and you might get this heard announced Thursday. I'm going to give you this show so you have it in the morning so it'll be just 
a few uh, hours by the time you end up here. And this this will be your setup for the game that's going to be played 537 on TBS. Like I said, it's going to be on TBS, and Dan and Jim will have the call for 97 won the ticket in Detroit. Tigers also have to wonder if Rajay Davis is going to play in this series because he tweaked his hamstring. And, yeah, it was great that the Tigers will not get to play until tomorrow, into Thursday. They've had quite a few days off because they clinch, and that's one of the advantages that you get. You don't have to play in the wild card game, but you also get some extra time to get at least a chance to play in a five-game series. But the best of three is what matters. you got to get those three wins and get the job done. If Rajay Davis doesn't play for the Detroit Tigers, the Tigers put themselves in a situation where Don Kelly or Ezekiel Carrera might have to start center field. There's no other way about it because you can't move Torrey Hunter. You don't have Andy Dirks. So these are your corner outfielders that you got with Torrey Hunter and something in J.D. Martinez. You have to leave it that way, and you're just going to have to roll the dice with Don Kelly or Carrera Quite frankly, I know, uh, honestly, that Don Kelly really can't hit, but he's not going to be one of those guys in center field that's going to be a complete butcher because Carrera doesn't even know which way to run for the ball. It was quite like how Delman Delman Young was last year for the Tigers, but now he's on the Baltimore Orioles, so you're going to get to see chubby cheeks Delman Young in there. So I don't know what the Tigers are going to be able to do to replace Rajay Davis. You know, they already got rid of Austin Jackson and Drew Smiley, and that was well documented as we'll get into the pitching aspects of it in a minute here. But that's going to be a huge loss for the Tigers because you think of another guy that's going to go ahead and put pressure on and steal some bases. Yes, I know this is a new-look team, and Ian Kinsler helped be part of that, and Troy Hunter helped be part of that, even though he's 39 years of age, the new philosophy that the Tigers have to run. Because last year was Andy Dirks with seven stolen bases to lead the Tigers. I believe Rajay Davis got at least 35. So if Rajay doesn't play, there's going to be a hole in center field, and I don't know how it's going to be filled. But I would definitely give the edge to the Tigers in hitting aspect, because the Tigers hit some bombs. I know Baltimore's hit some bombs, but they hit that in the ballpark. And when you switch sides, when you go into Comerica, I don't think Baltimore is going to be as happy because they're not going to have guys like Victor Martinez, J.D. Martinez, and Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, they got a couple power hitters in that lineup, but it's definitely going to be harder to hit balls out of Comerica than it is in Camden and Baltimore. Pitching aspect. A couple questions here. And then we'll talk about some critical questions for the rest of the series, and then we'll break and get in the National League aspect. So the pitching matchups. Game one is going to be Max Scherzer versus Chris Tillman. Now, with Scherzer and Tillman, you got to believe that even though Tillman is the ace of the Baltimore Orioles, that Max Scherzer far and away is the guy that's going to have the edge in this matchup. Listen, I understand that Camden Yards, like I just said, is a small ballpark. It's a band box ballpark. But Max Scherzer is a big game pitcher. He's got multicolor eyes, a dominant fastball, great curve changeup. He's got all the pitches. He knows how to pitch in pressure situations. Gotta believe the Tigers have the matchup that they want here. You got the former Cy Young winner on the mound, the reigning Cy Young winner. You got a guy that can dial it up anywhere, and you've seen it even last year with Jim Leland. 
even with the bases loaded and no outs, Max Scherzer can get out of it without too much damage and still secure the lead. Max Scherzer is going to be a guy that Brad Ausmus will be able to lean on and trust. You think about the other aspects, as I'm just talking about starting pitching now, the other aspects the Tigers won't be so powerful. Game two, your pitching matchup will be Wayne Chen for the Baltimore Orioles versus Justin Verlander. Now to some, this might be an interesting decision to play Justin Verlander over David Price. But I digress here. David Price has given up the most home runs in all of baseball. When you're playing in Camden Yards, probably not such a great combination. Yes, David Price has the most strikeouts in Major League Baseball this season, but giving up the most jacks in a small ballpark doesn't sound too good. And Wayne Chen is one of these guys that can throw you a lot of off-speed pitches and throw you a lot of junk. He knows how to pitch, and he knows how to mix it up. And if there's one aspect that the Tigers don't do so well against, it's guys that actually pitch and occasionally throw junk. And Wayne Chen is one of those guys. And it could be a difficult matchup in Game 2. Something tells me, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but this is the postseason preview show, that game is going to be on Sunday, I believe at like 3.30 or something like that, with Wayne Chen and Justin Verlander Game 2 in Baltimore. Something tells me that Justin Verlander once again could be the Justin Verlander of the last couple seasons in the postseason, because I have confidence in Justin Verlander. Until he falls flat on his face in the postseason a couple of times, then I will be willing to fall off the bandwagon. But until then, Justin Verlander is a proven postseason performer, and I like that matchup. So talk about the pitching matchup for the starters between Chris Tillman and Max Scherzer in Game 1 and Game 2 and Wayne Chen and Justin Verlander. I like the Tigers' chances there. If the games end up going to the bullpen, there's no doubt about it that the Baltimore Orioles have a better bullpen than the Detroit Tigers. They also have Andrew Miller in the rotation that's been quite good, former Tiger. That was in the Miguel Cabrera trade with Cameron Mabin. He's a pretty good pitcher. They got Tommy Hunter. They got some other guys they can put in there. Darren O'Day, Joe Saunders, all of that. They got some guys that they can put in there and get the job done. Their bullpen is a hell of a lot better than the Tigers' bullpen. The one X factor that the Tigers could have is whether or not how much they use Anibal Sanchez. Now, Brad Ausmus is quoted as saying that Anibal Sanchez could be set from one to five innings he could pitch. And most likely he would pitch from the sixth inning on and maybe give it to Job in the eighth and Joe Nathan in the ninth. I don't know why we got Joaquin Soria if we're not going to use him, but Brad Ausmus has been steadfast in the fact that Joe Nathan is going to be his closer. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm not going to have butterflies in my stomach. Because when I think about Joe Nathan, I think about Jose Valverde, Todd Jones, all of that, just the roller coaster aspect of the closing situation for the Detroit Tigers. I know that's going to be scary. But if the Tigers can go into Baltimore where they were 5-1 and one this season, hit those home runs, be the power hitting team that I know that they can be, and get some good starts from the starting pitchers, it's supposed to be the strength of this team, Anibal Sanchez could be an X-factor. And Joaquin Soria will see some time out of the bullpen in this series for the Detroit Tigers. You can count on that. I think the Tigers could do quite well. Now the interesting aspects is how Brad Ausmus will manage that bullpen. 
Will he actually go to Anibal Sanchez in the sixth inning if Max Scherzer or Justin Verlander gets in trouble? I don't know. Will Al Albuquerque see some time? Will Phil Koch see some time? Phil Koch was one of those lefties that has a power arm that sometimes can't find the strike zone. But you saw what he did against the New York Yankees just a couple of years ago when he was the closer, when Valverde totally lost it. So you never you never know what could happen. But I, that's why I think that Joaquin Soria will get some time. And I still think that Joe Nathan is going to be a closer in the ninth. It's interesting to wonder what's going to happen with Albuquerque and Jabba Chamberlain. Because I wonder if Soria is going to pitch the eighth. Because why in the hell did we trade for him if we're not going to use him? So I'd say Soria 8, Nathan 9, maybe Anibal Sanchez 6 and 7. You might mix Jabba in there from time to time. That's what I would roll with. Because I definitely think Brad Ausmus said he's held steadfast to the fact that Nathan's going to be his closer. I think that's what I would end up doing. I think that's what the Tigers might look at. So I felt good about the starting pitching. And I feel good about the bats for the terms of the Tigers. I think you get my bold-ass prediction. I know there's some Tigers fans that are quite confident, even though the Tigers didn't look so good in winning that division, and they sure made it look difficult. I think the Tigers will win this ALDS against the Baltimore Orioles in four games. Because I think the Tigers have those power bats. I think they have good starting pitching. I think the injuries of Matt Wieters, the loss of Chris Davis, and the injury of Manny Machado will hurt the Orioles. I know that they're a good team. I know Adam Jones is a stud. I know that J.J. Hardy and Nick Markakis can hit some... Hit some balls pretty well. And Steven Pierce has been the guy that's coming out of nowhere. And Caleb Joseph might be a pretty good catcher in terms of defense. But everybody else in that lineup, Nelson Cruz is the $8 million man, the guy that's had the most RBI and home runs. He's dangerous. Adam Jones is dangerous. Nick Markakis is dangerous. But when you got three injuries between Machado, you got Davis out, and you got Matt Wieters hurt, and they got some questions. I like the Tigers in the small ballpark. I like their starting pitching. I like their hitting. I know there's going to be some butterflies in the stomach if it's a close game. Getting into the ninth, that's not what the Tigers will want. I hope that's something they can avoid. But I do think the Tigers will get past the Baltimore Orioles in four. As far as the rest of the matchups in the American League, you got the Los Angeles Angels Anaheim and the Kansas City Royals. I'll just talk about this real quick here, and then we'll break. Between these two teams, you got the Angels. You don't know if Josh Hamilton's going to play. He's been hurt. He might bat down in the eighth part of the lineup. And I know Garrett Richards is out. But Albert Pujols has got a lot to prove. And that starting pitching of Jared Weaver in Game 1 against Jason Vargas and some of the other stuff down the line, I think C.J. Wilson can outpitch anybody else besides James Shields. If he goes up against if it's C.J. Wilson and Danny Duffy, you know, I feel bad for the Orioles in that situation. I do think the Angels can win in four. But if the unthinkable happens and the Tigers and the Royals match up for the American League Championship Series, I think the Tigers can go ahead and get into the World Series. Because Tigers have owned the Royals all season, and I don't think that that's going to change. I think the Tigers just do something that the Royals don't do. We'll just hit home runs out of the ballpark. Yeah, it's great, and the Royals will be a pain in the ass. They'll steal some bases and do a lot of things. They'll win a game or two in the series. 
But I do think the Tigers can get the job done and go to the World Series if the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim lose to the Royals. But first things first, my prediction, facebook.com slash tbugunslinger, Twitter, John Ryan, I just told you. The batting, pitching matchups, and everything else in between, and the critical questions. I do think Buck Showalter is a better manager than Brad Ausmus, but I do think the Tigers get away in this ALDS series in four games. Come back in from the break, we're going to talk about the National League side of things. And I'll let you know what I think could happen in this playoff postseason show of MLB. If the Tigers did get to the World Series, who they could play in the National League. We'll talk about that next. Sports and the D, John on here with you. Come back from the break. Sports Day in the D, John out here with you. We're going to close out the postseason preview show of Major League Baseball with the talk of the senior circuit, the National League. Now, it would not be fair for me to just talk about the American League the whole time, and I'll be honest with you, I love myself some baseball. I'm not the most diehard baseball fan that there is in the world, and I may not know as much about the National League, but I do think it's fair to talk about every aspect of that, and I will do the best I can in terms of everything to give you some postseason knowledge and some predictions. So, your first set of games are the Washington Nationals and the wildcard winners in the San Francisco Giants. That's your first National League matchup, and then the second is the Los Angeles Dodgers taking on the St. Louis Cardinals. Now let's talk about the Nationals and the Giants really quick. Now with the Nationals, I think about a team that always does well in terms of the starting pitching. Because now it seems like Steven Strasburg, a guy that everybody knows that can throw 100 miles an hour, but also has like four other pitches that he can throw for strikes. Everybody knows that the Nationals already had a great pitching rotation. And when you couple Strasburg, who's finally going to get to play now and see what he's really about, you got Gio Gonzalez in there as well. And then you get Doug Fister who in an absolutely preposterous trade that we documented with when the Tigers got Steve Lombardozzi and some other numb nuts that they threw in there that they didn't even keep, you know, that that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And what you get with Doug Fister is a guy that's going to go ahead and throw strikes and just be competitive. He's not the most flamethrower pitcher that you got in the league, but he does have a record of 16-6 and six with a ZRA just above 240. So the dude is a stud. So with the Washington Nationals, when you talk about having this, just this team and this embarrassment of pitching that you got, it's good stuff. Now, there's also hitters on this team, too, that can do some damage. The Cleveland Indian is Drupal Cabrera, maybe one of the other guys that was even worth a damn from the AL Central, gets acquired in a trade for the Washington Nationals to go ahead and play some third base, some shortstop. So that's another guy that you can go ahead and put in there. You got Ryan Zimmerman that plays some third, and he does a hell of a good job in there for the Washington Nationals. He can also rake a little bit. You got Adam LaRoche, who's pretty good. You got Ian Desmond, who I think is one of the most underrated shortstops that we have in the league. He's quite good. And then Bryce Harper, you know, he's an electrifying outfielder. He may take some interesting routes to the baseball, but he's a guy that can hit you some bombs, and he's an electrifying player. X factor that I have for this 
this team, because you already know about Jason Worth when he was worth the cash, getting about $120 million, he's quite good. There's Denard Spann. He's my X Factor. He's a guy that I love for the American League Central with the Minnesota Twins, and now he's on the Washington Nationals. This dude is fast as lightning, and <laughs> quite honestly, when I look at this team up and down, you think about the pitching aspect with Strasburg, Gio Gonzalez, and Doug Fister. You think about Ryan Zimmerman, Ian Desmond, Dribble Cabrera. You think about Jason Wirth, Bryce Harper, Denard Spann. This team's pretty good, and this they're pretty good up and down the lineup. And they got Rafael Soriano closing, or at least he's an eighth inning guy if it didn't end up working on. You got Tanner Rorick. This team's pretty good. And when you think about the Giants and the aspect of it, yeah, they got Madison Bumgarner to be able to lock stuff down in the starting rotation for the Giants. But who else do they have? Because Matt Cain got hurt. Tim Lincecum was one of the guys that he only comes out of the bullpen. Tim Lincecum may have one of his best appearances that he had out of the bullpen like last season, but that remains to be seen if he can do that once again. So I do think the Washington Nationals get past the San Francisco Giants. With the Los Angeles Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals, this is also an interesting matchup. Because when you have the Dodgers, you think about a team that has a gigantic payroll, and you think about a team with the general manager being Magic Johnson and all of that. This is a team that has a gigantic payroll and can do pretty much anything that they want. Clayton Kershaw is probably going to win his third Cy Young this year. That's incredible. When you think about that, it's not just Clayton Kershaw. It's Zach Greinke. It's not just, and then you got Brandon League in there. You got Chris Perez, who fell off a little bit with the uh, Dodgers. He didn't end up panning out as much as they wanted to. But you still got Kaylee Jansen. You still got Ryu, the starting pitcher, and there is pretty good. As the catchers really don't have anybody that catches my eye there. I'm sorry, I can't think of any of the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers catchers. But you got D. Gordon that almost stole you 60 bases this season in the infield. Adrian Gonzalez is one of the better first first defensive first baseman that you got in the league that also can rake. Hanley Ramirez, I like Hanley Ramirez. Juan Uribe, getting up there in age but can still hit you some bombs. And then you have just the mess of outfielders that you talk about for the Dodgers. How healthy is Carl Crawford? How much is he going to play? Because you also got Andre Ethier, Matt Kemp, and Yasiel Puig. And Scott Van Slyke can also hit you some home runs. He's got some good power. So I don't know about the outfield situation, but I do know Yasiel Puig and Matt Kemp. I want them as my uh, right and center fielders, respectively. And Carl Crawford, I do like him, but I also think Andre Ethier is great. And I maybe could move, in my opinion, I know they're not going to do this, is uh, manager for the Los Angeles Dodgers, Don Manningly. I don't think he's going to do this, maybe move Ethier to a different position to have one of those guys play infield. But, you know, you got that mess of outfielders, and the Dodgers never really traded any of those guys, and it's probably for good reason, because all of them can hit. And one of them usually gets injured, so there's always backup in terms of that. There's always depth there. But with that starting pitching rotation, Dan Heron, Zach Greinke, the three-time, I'll go ahead and say that right now, three-time award winner of the NL Cy Young and Clayton Kershaw, he's a stud. There's no other pitcher that's better than him in the league with the whip, 
that was almost a half a hit less than Chris Sale and an ERA that was at least a run and a half almost over Felix Hernandez better. There's nobody better. And Kaylee Jansen's a hell of a closer. So I do like the Dodgers. But with the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a team that you can never really count out. Now, for the Cardinals, you always talk about how good this team is in the postseason, that they can do just enough to get by. And that's also always true. But when the Cardinals get in the postseason, they always seem to be a team that nobody wants to end up playing. But what can the Cardinals do? Can star power finally trump a team that doesn't seem to have a lot of it? Yes, they got Adam Wainwright in that pitcher notation. He is the number one guy. And Justin Masterson hasn't really impressed for the St. Louis Cardinals with the trade that was over from the Cleveland Indians. But you do got the, one of the best closers in the game, if not the best closer in the game, in Trevor Rosenthal. You got Michael Walker. He's a pitcher that I like a lot. Is Yadier Molina completely healthy? Yes, he's on this team. How much playing time is he going to get? Not quite sure. But for the rest of the guys, you got former Tiger Johnny Peralta. They got you about 25 bombs. He's a good player. Matt Carpenter, Matt Adams, Mark Ellis, Peter Borges in the outfield, former Angel, Matt Holliday, John Jay. You know, they don't have all the same names that the Los Angeles Dodgers do, but they do have Lance Lynn, Adam Wainwright, Michael Waka, Justin Masterson. They got some good pitching, and they got a better closer than Trevor Rosenthal than Kaylee Jansen, even though Kaylee Jansen is no slouch when it comes into that pitching rotation. And at the end, I think the Cardinals have the better bullpen. Now, from names only, you would say that the Dodgers have a better batting aspect of it, better hitting. But you never can tell with the Cardinals. They will find a way to scrap and claw and find a way to get a win. I know that's not the most exciting knowledge I can drop on you in terms of the National League, but this is honestly what I feel. The Dodgers and the Cardinals, I can't even call it. The only team I even say that has the clear advantage is the Washington Nationals in the National League. So in perspective, if you're going to get all my predictions right now, this is what I will give to you in the MLB postseason show for Sports Day on the D. This is John on here with you. You can get at me Facebook.com slash TBUGunsinger at Twitter at John Ryanot. Between the Tigers and the Orioles, I already mentioned that. I like the Tigers in four. Between the Angels and the Royals, I like the Angels in four. Between the Nationals and the Giants, I like the Nationals. I won't give you a game there because I can't think of that. I even think about the nine times that the Giants had staved off elimination just a couple seasons ago. You can't count them out. And the Dodgers and the Cardinals, I can't even put my money where my mouth is. Even though I say I like the Dodgers better, I will never count out the Cardinals. So I will put a lock in for the Tigers and the Angels. I think they can both win in four games. And I favor the Nationals over the Giants, even though I don't know how many games it'll be. But I can't tell you anything in terms of the Dodgers and the Giants, cause, or the Dodgers and the Cardinals, because I simply don't know. So that's my complete National League aspect of it in terms of the postseason preview. Before we close out the show, there's a couple other things I want to mention about the Tigers. I talked about their starting pitching and their hitting in terms of the Orioles and why I like them better in some of the Orioles' injuries. A couple other questions I want to get to before I even forget, and maybe if you think I didn't even really mention that, is what's going to happen with Joe Nathan? 
for the Tigers. I already said he's going to be the lock of the century closer because it seems like Brad Ausmus isn't going to pull the trigger to put Sori in there. And even though I said I don't know why we'd trade it for Sori if this wasn't going to happen, but it certainly seems like he's not going to be here. What will happen with Joe Nathan if he blows a save or two? Will we finally make the move to Sori before it's too late? Or will it be too late by then when the Tigers are already down a couple games against the Orioles? Or maybe if they get to the next series, if they're down in the American League Championship Series, what's going to happen with Joe Nathan? And will he continue to be the closer for this team if he makes a couple mistakes and blows a couple saves? Because I'm not sure if the Tigers' bullpen is going to be able to hold. And that's just exactly what's happened all season. I know that's, geez, what a way to go on a limb, genius. You know, I, I understand that aspect with the Tigers' bullpen. But you certainly think in this series between the Baltimore Orioles and the Detroit Tigers that if the Tigers just use that strength of the starting pitching that they're supposed to have and they can get out to early leads and stay away from that bullpen as much as possible in this series against the Orioles because you're playing in that ballpark that you're playing in in Camden, that the Tigers will be in a good situation because if the game is close, anything can happen, and that's not going to be good. But I, I just wonder... What's going to happen with Joe Nathan if he blows a couple of saves? Will Brad Ausmus finally make the move? I'm not so sure. Because I believe uh, Joe Nathan is, he's got, what, 40-something saves this season? He's blown about, he's got 45 saves, he's blown seven saves, blown eight saves. He's made some mistakes, his ERA is over five, his whip is over one and a half. It's not been good, but yeah, the Tigers are going to need him most. I've already talked about Fernando, Rodney, Todd Jones, and all of that, the roller coaster, and Jose Valverde. You're going to be riding the roller coaster once again, but I just wonder what happens with Joe Nathan is after he's made some mistakes. Will the Tigers finally make a move to Joaquin Soria, or is it going to be too late? And with J.D. Martinez, another X-Factor, my two X-Factors, offense and pitching, I say J.D. Martinez on the offense, my X-Factor is going to be Anibal Sanchez, because you just wonder whether or not how much the Tigers will pitch him. Where would the Tigers be without J.D. Martinez as you're looking into the postseason picture on Thursday? 537 Eastern on TBS. The Tigers will be playing against the Orioles. Game 1, Max Scherzer and Chris Tillman. Where would the Tigers be without J.D. Martinez? He was a castaway from the Houston Astros. Prince Fielder gave the Texas Rangers nothing, and the Rangers were kind enough, even though Ian Kinsler was making enough money that was a comparable contract, to switch out Kinsler and Prince Fielder pretty much just a bag of baseballs. And it may come out to be that the next couple seasons, if Prince Fielder is healthy, he could potentially hit 35-40 bombs. That may happen, but J.D. Martinez, my goodness, with a hell of a lot less money on that payroll, J.D. Martinez has made quite the impression for the Tigers. You got Cabrera, Martinez, and Martinez, Victor, and J.D. I think those will be enough stars to impact from what the Baltimore Orioles don't have. Yes, they got Adam Jones, and they got Nick Markakis, but losing Chris Davis with an injured Matt Wieters and Manny Machado, I think the Tigers have the edge there. I think J.D. Martinez can run into quite a few. I know there's going to be some questions with Rajay Davis, and there's going to be a hole in center field possibly. We'll see what happens when Brad Ausmus announces the lineups later today. And like I said, 537 start on TBS Thursday. 
There's going to be some interesting questions, but I believe the Tigers have the edge, pitching, batting. Some defense, it's no doubt that the Orioles are better. In the bullpen, it's no doubt that the Orioles are better. But when it matters most, in terms of scoring runs, the Tigers should be able to do something and get past the Orioles in four games. Now, I will go as far to say if the Tigers and the Royals match up in the LCS, I like the Tigers as I've liked them all season just because we hit the home runs and the Royals don't. We match up well against them. But God forbid, if the Tigers get in the World Series, I think that's where their journey will end. I know I'm getting far ahead of myself, and I will get into you with this other shows as the Tigers will go up against the Orioles, but I'm just trying to make some predictions for you now. If the Tigers make it to the World Series, I think that they're going to end up playing against the Nationals or the Dodgers. I'm not quite sure, like I said, what was going to happen with the Dodgers and the Cardinals series, but I think that's where the Tigers' journey will end because they just don't play well against National League ballparks, and they got a dominant pitching staff just like the Tigers do, but they also have a dominant bullpen, and they have some other guys that can hit. So if the Tigers can play the Royals in the LCS, I think they can make it to the World Series because I do think they beat the Orioles in four, but I think their journey will end in the World Series. These are all my thoughts. This is the MLB postseason show for Sports Day and the D. This is John Ott, and this has been a great fun to be here with you guys as the MLB postseason is going to finally get underway. All the wild card matchups are set. You got the Angels and the Royals in the American League, the Orioles and the Tigers in the National League aspect. You have the Nationals and the Giants, and then the Dodgers and the Cardinals. What do you think is going to happen with the Tigers? You think they can get past the Orioles? I think they're going to beat them in four. When we come back in the next show, we're going to be talking about Tigers and Orioles. You better believe I'll have some more Lions news for you as well because it's rumored that Adamican Sue has finally said he's going to make his move to one of the New York teams. I'm not sure if it's going to be the Giants or the Jets yet, but we'll talk about the Lions as well after they take on Buffalo and Ryan Fitzpatrick. This has been the Tigers postseason MLB show. Sports Day in the D. John on here with you. Have a great night, everybody. 537 TBS. Tigers and Orioles, Game 1. Max Scherzer, Chris Tillman, and the call will be on 97 on the ticket with Dan Dickerson and Jim Price. Have a good night, everybody. Stay safe. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you guys soon, and we'll come back in from Sports Center the D next week. We might be talking about some NBA 2K15. Definitely be talking about some Tigers and Orioles and the Detroit Lions as well. Peace, guys.